We're live. Welcome back, fellow book nerds. Uh, this week we are covering chapters 33 through 37 of Patrick Rothfuss's The Name of the Wind. We did take a week off. We had a lot going on. There was a lot going on in the world, to which we have a small bit of a statement to make. Yeah. We don't have anything scripted. We're just speaking from the heart, but... We very much support the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been going on currently, and I'm sure a lot of other podcasts, if you're a regular podcast listener, have mentioned. We have personally donated some money to different causes, but um, just wanted to, in general, talk about how we started a podcast about books, and in retrospect, books are a really great way to connect people of different backgrounds, connect with people of different races, different economic backgrounds, just different religions, all sorts of people can be brought together by fandoms of books, which I think is an absolutely powerful thing. I think being two people who have just started a podcast, it will be really important for us moving forward to think about all the different voices that can come into play when we're discussing fantasy, whether it's the people in the books or the people who are writing the books or the fans of the books. But we want to be very mindful of that and very open and inclusive because I think literature is something that can bring people together and can be very, very powerful. So we'd like to use this podcast as a platform to promote just different stories, different authors. And if you, the viewers, have any contributions or recommendations for us to either do like a mini suit about or even just read for our own personal benefit. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, and this past week we posted on our website, fantasticbookspod.com, several reading lists based on different topics. So you've got my picks, which include things that I have read and things that are on my to-read list. You've got Sam's picks. Um, and then we also have lists of books by fantasy books by Black authors, fantasy books fe- featuring strong female leads. Um, and several other different categories. So definitely check those out. And if you have any suggestions, we would love to hear them. But without further ado, I think it is time to get back to The Name of the Wind. Yes, let's rock and roll. So when we last left Kavuth, he was just about to leave Tarbian. Finally. (laughs) Which, yeah, absolutely. So when I first read these books, and I talk about first reading them, And I talk about the first time I read them pretty regularly, but when I did first read them, it took me a really long time to get through the part where Kvothe was in Tarbian. And I know I mention this every time, but I feel like this is finally where the story really starts to piece itself together and become more of a cohesive plot of like someone who's had his family ripped away from him. And now he's finally got the information about who those people or, you know, mythical beings, the Shandrian are. And now he's on his quest to get the know-how to defeat them. Yeah, and it's really cool that although I think plot-wise it's taken a little while for us to get there, because I think if we look back, he really had such rapid growth when we talk about, you know, his upbringing in the troop and spending time with Ben. You know, he gets introduced to all these aspects of knowledge, whether it was uh, sympathy or chemistry or history or whatever but like there was a lot of like rapid character growth and then three years in Tarbian to go from such a good time of personal development to just completely survival for three years is mm-hmm. like so much for Kavoth and now that he's finally like on his way and every, his mind and 
his soul is kind of reawakened for his adventure. It's really exciting to be like, okay, we're back. Like, let's get it. I like it a lot because it feels very organic to me. Yeah. A lot of stories, I think, are very structured. So it's like, oh, you have this nobody. You have this backstory of some big plot going on, whether it's like a revolution or like something magical. Yeah. Somehow the two collide and then our hero is like, well... Guess that's my destiny. I'll go along my way and just accept it and do everything. And this was realistic and then also very severe. Like, it it was realistic in the fact that he was learning a lot with Ben, who suggested he goes to the university with his parents, and his parents were kind of had mixed feelings, which is how people react to things like that. Definitely. And then very severe in the fact that Kavolt just lost absolutely everything he has. And along with that, his hopes of going to university, and now he's finally back to his main goal. So I just feel like that's a lot more how people's lives actually work. Oh, absolutely. And like, I it's think not it's not linear. Despite, like, all the struggle, it's given him hard practicality and a lot of common sense and street smarts. Because I think if we had a version of Kavot that went directly from, like, living with his troop to the university, I think he still would have been very well-rounded and kind of known how different, like, places work and, you know, been, like, aware. But I think having to suffer the way he did, obviously we've talked about in earlier episodes, give him, like, really good skill sets for life and later, like, sneaking around, pickpocketing, lockpicking, all that cool stuff. But I think, like, the actual, like, struggle factor for him really inherently shapes such a wild and destructive part of him that we see more throughout the next two books. Which is like two books, only one well, book. This book and the sequel, Wise Means Fear. But I think that weird, like intense time in Tarbian's given him like a little bit of primal instincts with certain things. It's also remember he mentions that boy who's in the alley. Yeah, who gets I don't know d- destroyed. Something to this boy. very very yeah. bad happens. This boy. I'm not it gets clear real. what it is. Yeah, but it's bad. I'm not shying away from the topic, it's just left vague in the book. But, yeah, Kavoth mentions that as being, like, the time he personally reflects on as his defining moment of becoming who he is as an adult. Yeah. And... To always kind of, like, look out for others and protect well. Yeah, wanting to protect the weak. Uh, so I think it's just very, very important that he's had this time in Tarbian. But boy, am I glad that he's out on his way out. He's <laughs> so, his nickel. He's free now. Like. All right. So on that note, chapter 33, A Sea of Stars. Yes. Um. So he's returning back to the caravan that he has signed on with, uh, who's taking him to Imre, which is the town closest to the university. This chapter starts out when he gets a really good cloak. Yeah, no, he finally gets his like signature cloak. Honestly, though, let's talk about the cloak. Super cool. It's really cool. I like that he talks about how it flows in the breeze. It's very, it's so vain, but I love that feeling of, like, having on a really great outfit and, (laughs) like, just kind of, like, strutting around. Yeah, you have, like, your flex piece. It's like, all right, I've literally spent, like, three years as a dusty street urchin covered in grime and smelling like horse manure, and now I found normal clothes I got a new pair of kicks, and I have a cloak. Like, I am ready. I know. I wish we knew a little bit more about the fashion in this world, because a lot of fantasy kind of has a medieval 
type fashion. Yeah. Um, but I know later in the books they mention a girl wearing pants. Like one of the female characters is wearing an outfit with pants and it's like not seen as anything unusual, which for a medieval style, like medieval European style inspired fantasy would be pretty uncommon. So I'm just not really sure what the clothing in this world looks like. And there's a lot of fan art out there that has different interpretations. So definitely check that out if you're interested. But it's just something I thought about as I was reading. No, it's true. Because they, I mean, they kind of give off a similar impression. Like any pre-actual industrial technology. So it's very like medieval, like not quite primitive. It's No, it's definitely like homespun. Like yeah. it's all handmade. But there's definitely clearly like he went to like a specific tailor's shop. So there's people who specialize in clothing. Yes. And there was a cobbler who specialized in shoes. And, like, the type of shoes he got were very specific. But, like, what do the clothes look like? Like, what's the fashion? Yeah, no, that's a hard thing to describe. And I don't think a lot of books actually do that. They kind of take for granted, like, we'll give you clues on, like, what technologies are available and what the world's like. And you can kind of piece together, like... Yeah, we'll give you character descriptions, but we're not going to be like, in the fashion is it? No, 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 that's true. I The reason I bring it up is simply because Patrick Rothfuss simply said he tried to write a fantasy book very different from other fantasy books. Mm. So this one has a different feel to it for me because magic and technology are kind of intertwined, but not in any modern sense. It's more of a mechanical technology. I don't know. I just didn't know what, like, his personal vision as the author was. Like, how was he visualizing characters looking? Because for me, cloaks are only go with a very specific style of historical clothing. Yeah. But then if you have girls wearing pants, that doesn't really fit the same genre, typically. You know what's funny? I kind of envision, like, a weird fusion between definitely, like, more, like, medieval style fashions, Mm -hmm. but then, like, almost, like, Victorian style era, like, dress clothes with certain like scenarios interesting so i imagined like 18th century america like very revolutionary looking oh yeah i guess that's more with like because that seemed very practical especially like the time in ventus definitely kind of describes similar fashion to what that would be yeah so uh ventus happens in book two but he's in a there's a lot of courtly people around so they have, like, a very different and high fashion. And this time in, in ADEM, they describe the fashions because they're very different from the rest of the world. So the, it's just interesting, too, because this is a fantasy book with multiple cultures happening in one world, yeah. um, each with their own specific rules and styles of dress and clothing. So I just like to think about it. But, yeah, he has a, a really pretty cool cloak going on right now. And he has such an affinity for cloaks, and I never thought about this, because, you know, when you see cloaks, like, whether it was, like, Lord of the Rings or the Hobbits or whatever, you're just like, okay, it's a cape of the hood. But the idea of, like, it having all these, like, several deep pockets for items is, one, just really useful, and two, very pleasant. It's so nice. I wish... So for me, in Harry Potter... The wizard's robes are very cloak-like, mm-hmm. and they always talk about having your wand in a pocket, and I imagine it being, like, where a breast pocket would be, but, like, hidden Ooh, inside, so you could, like, holster. whip your wand out really fast. Not bad. But in the movies, they have them wearing modern-day clothes, so their wands are always in their back pocket, and that really bothered me. <laughs> it's impractical. Right? They're 12 inches long. You can't sit on something that long. Yeah. 
And they always talk about, like, not wanting to break your wand or have it do accidental magic. So, like, I don't think it would be safe to put it near your behind. I think it's behind. Cool and funny that you mentioned, like, wands being stored, like, internal breast pocket, all like cloak and dagger. But it would clearly be, like, part of the robes. Ensemble. Yeah, I know. Like, like, it would be sewn in. Pocket. Like, every set of robes would have a wand pocket. I think if I were a wizard, I would have had my wand in a pocket like exteriorly for sure just like casually drop the hand just like i don't know because i feel like robes have multiple layers so i feel like you should just yeah. be able to like reach inside and like whip it out real fast not bad i don't know but anyway in Kavo's cloak he's got some string and wax some dried apple a tinder box a marble in a leather sack some salt hook needle and gut so pretty some things are practical some things are very strange like i don't know why he needs a marble I don't know if it's for luck. I don't know if it's a reminder of something previous in his life. I don't know if it's for sympathy, but whatever. But then things like salt or a hook needle and gut, which is for like doing stitches, would be very practical. Yeah. But anyway, so he gets on the caravan and is on his way towards the university. He's on his way. And we also get introduced to a very important character. Yep. The girl he mentioned seeing last time, who was organizing herself with the caravan, he starts to talk to. It's this girl named Denna. <sighs> I know. You have such a love-hate for her. No, I just have a hate for her. Yeah. No. Uh, I feel very conflicted, because I feel like a lot of the time women get portrayed unfairly in books. Or movies, especially if it's like, the woman was his the hero's downfall. It's all her fault. I think different female characters are written differently. But I will say, Dennis' character is definitely, like, the classic, like, unattainable, the perfect girl kind of thing for girls. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay. So, before we get ahead of ourselves, <laughs> Denna is this girl Kavoth meets on the caravan. And he, like, kind of wants to talk to her, kind of doesn't. But then she catches him staring. Well, yeah, he's like, she's gorgeous. And he's, like, literally in his early teens, so... Yeah, and he's the like, first time... Things, I know, just... the first time he talks to her, he says, I was wondering what you were doing here, and she calls him out and says he's a liar, and then ignores him, like, goes back to her other conversation. He's so disappointed. A swing and a miss. Which, I think he's, what, 15? Yeah. At this point? And obviously, I've never been a 15-year-old boy, but I'm... Let's just say at that age you're not a smooth operator. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. So yeah, he uh, they stop for the night and he kind of like hems and haws his way around to trying to find an excuse to talk to her. And, you know, she just calls a spade a spade and goes over to talk to him immediately and asks him about the question from earlier and says, have you figured it out yet? Like, why I've been here? And she gives a pretty existential answer of, you know, I've been wondering why I've been here for most of my life. Not here, here, in the this space, but, like, here in the world. So, she's playing very coy. And he's, I mean, he's feeding into it, because she's like, I don't know where I'm heading, do you? As if he really actually has the answers. And he kind of bounces it back, and she has aspirations to go to a place called Anna Lynn. And they're just kind of having this, like, light conversation. And so she prompts him with her question of where he's headed, and... Tells her deliberately that he's heading to the university. I there, think she's kind of intrigued and impressed the fact that he's so certain of where he's going. 
Because she clearly is like a rolling stone and she just kind of floats from place to place. Yeah, I'm not sure how old she is, but I am I think she's a couple of years older than Kavoth in my mind. Yeah, if he's 15, I imagine she's like 17. Yeah, she's a little bit more mature, a little bit closer to being an adult. And I get the impression she's been on her own for a while. Yeah. As you say, a rolling stone just kind of bopping from place to place. No real attainable aspirations at the moment. So she's just kind of meandering her way around. Yeah. I will say this, though. I really enjoy the writing about all his interactions with her because it's very relatable. Like any guy who's been younger and there's like somebody you're into and just like little moments that are written, like how like the next day Kavot wants to spend time with Denna, but he... He's eager, but not wanting to seem eager. It's like, play cool. Like, it's all, like, the facade of just, like, seem interesting. Yeah, like, trying to be near someone, but having no real excuse for it. So you're just like, uh. Yeah. I'll go over here, I guess. I'll go back to my <laughs> Literally a small wagon. Fancy seeing you here. Like. Yeah, so it's, like, a little bit. It, I think he's being probably pretty obvious. Yeah. And she's just... I mean, she's rolling with it. She, there's no, like... Yeah, she's toying with the idea. Yeah. The she's open nice. to it. And yeah. they do hit it off. I mean, they end up spending the first two, like, watches that evening together, just, like, life-talking. I know. To be fair, they are probably the two youngest people by far. It seems like everyone else in this caravan's probably, you know, 30-plus. Yeah, so... But I think there's something to be said for the fact that they can spend an entire night together just talking... Yeah. It wasn't just a, oh, you're pretty and I'll talk to you. It's it's no, like they, they've got actual, you know, rapport and chemistry and have a lot to talk about. It's a very sweet evening. And Kavov has this kind of conflict of having such a good time. And then he wants to, like, hold her hand or touch her face. But he doesn't want to ruin it, I think. And he also is pretty unsure of himself. He doesn't have anything to offer. You know, he's 15. Yeah. He's headed to the university. He hardly has two coins to rub together. He can't really offer her much of a life there because he would just be spending all of his time studying in a best case scenario. So he lets the moment slide on by, but... Yeah, and it's like, it's crazy how fast and hard he, like, instantly, like, falls for he her. He falls hard for her, and then she just becomes the perpetual... Like what if? Yeah, the fixation. Though, uh, I love the line that's written here. It's just, it's well written and I think it's very relatable to a lot of people that have had feelings for somebody but they couldn't quite bridge that gap yet. Mm-hmm. But the line goes, Neither of us spoke. I closed my eyes. The closeness of her was the sweetest, sharpest thing my life had ever known. And it's just like, oh, I think it perfectly captures that feeling of if you really care about someone or you love them and you're close, but you clearly haven't bridged that gap in the relationship yet. So like you're, you're close, but you're not quite there. And it just, you're just that longing. Like I feel like it's really well captured. I think calling it sharp is really well worded because for me, sharpness is a physical thing. Like the pain of like a something in your side or even in your heart, but also sharpness can be like a a smell, like a, a pungency. Okay. So calling something like sweet and sharp would be the same as calling something sweet and sour. And this is a very sweet and sour moment. Sweet, yeah. Yeah, of like really, it's beautiful. It's his first like romantic time as a young person, but it's also soured by the fact that like he knows 
it's not it's not meant to last meant to, to last be. or to be attainable at this time uh yeah no that's cool so props to good writing yes very beautiful vocabulary throughout these stories so yeah the writing is superb but that brings us to chapter 34 yet to learn yeah so we have the next morning and the dynamic shifts a little bit with the traveling crew. We, yeah, they we, bring on this new character, Josen. Yeah. I don't know how old Josen is, but I pictured him being somewhere between 20 and 25. So old enough to pique Dunna's interest because she clearly, throughout the day, starts to hang out a lot more with him than yeah. with Kavoth. But she's definitely very flighty. Yes. So. And so Josen very, like... In the prime <laughs> of his young, like, manhood, just very cocky and, like, complimentary and just center of attention and charismatic. And Kavoth is just like, I hate you. Oh, it's perfect. Like, there's nothing wrong with this guy but the fact that Dennis paying attention to him. So Kavoth <laughs> immediately hates him. Literally. And it's like, just like... You're a jerk. I can't stand anything about you. Yeah, just, like, envious and frustrated. Yeah, it's definitely misplaced, like, anger towards someone, but we've definitely all felt that when you're not getting the attention you thought you had on lock, and all of a sudden... Someone new comes along and disrupts the flow. Yeah, and it's definitely a reminder that, like, Dana's not an object. She's a person with her own thoughts and desires and ability to make her own decisions of who she hangs out with. Yes. And I think Kavoth was just like, great, we had one cool night, she's mine now. <laughs> So, um... Reality check a little bit. But I also don't think it was, like, she's mine now. It was more just, like, I really like you. And then I was, like, somebody cool came along. Oh, no. He, well, not, not she's mine now, but, like, I think he thought they would hang out the rest of the... Trip, yeah. Trip and, like, have, you know, make some memories. And it mm -hmm. would be clearly, like, mutual hanging out. And yeah. she has bopped onto someone else pretty quickly. Yeah, and then later in the evening, they're having dinner, and um, Jocelyn breaks out not just a loot, but a trooper's loot. I know, and he plays... Decent. Fine. Yeah, he plays <laughs> fine. Honest. Like, there's nothing wrong. I think that's the whole perspective of this chapter, is like, there's nothing wrong with Joseph. it's just like, Koth hates him. Because of who he is. Yes, literally. And he has just a couple steps above Kavoth, and that's just enough for him to be so angry about it. But I feel like it's very relatable, because everyone's had those moments where, like, you know, like, a party, or, like, you're at work, and there's just, like, one person, there's literally nothing wrong with them. They might even be, like, likable. I think in, in a different situation, they would have gotten along fine. Yeah. But I think it's a very, like, relatable thing for, like, there is always that one person somebody knows meets or whatever, but for like very petty particular reasons, just like I don't like you. Like, <laughs> I know you're exactly wish I wish I was with myself. Like, yeah. Ugh. And so Jalzin or Josen is you know polite. He's being fun and charismatic. He even plays Tinker Tanner, like which is like the song everybody knows, and everybody I... is singing along except Kavoth, like the person who loves the music. <laughs> I love like, the pettiness of just like, nope, not even gonna give you the satisfaction of like adding to this. That's like, and like to be when fair, you have like, a really bad habit of like hyping up a movie or a TV show you oh, want me to watch, Ugh. I will immediately say no and <laughs> not <laughs> like it. So I think it's the exact same satisfaction of like, hmm, 
I'm not going to like what you're doing. There's no reason to it. I just don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) The petty level. Yeah, Sokovo's taking his petty level way up. I know. Oh, my God. (sighs) But then he does... Well, it's hard, because, like, him seeing somebody play a lute, like, music is a part of his soul, a part of his family, and to see somebody, like, play it only, like, half well, and him just, like, be, like, so starved for music and just want it so bad. I know. So he does something I think he probably assumed he would never do. He asks to hold Jocelyn's lute. And I do... And he immediately compares it to asking to kiss a man's wife, which is, like, mm-mm. Such a, uh, like, inappropriate boundary to cross, obviously, but, like, I love the emphasis in the perspective of respect for another, like, musician's instrument. Yes. There's such a profound appreciation and respect for it. That's really interesting. And I never considered it, really. I'm like, oh, that's just somebody's instrument. Yeah, so I played violin in elementary school, and I was not good. Um, (laughs) But several of my best friends also played in the orchestra, and I don't think we ever swapped instruments. It was just like... Nobody ever told us, and maybe we did it once, but it was one of those weird unspoken things that you just know. I mean, it's an intimate relationship. You spend all this time, like, using this literally, like, instrument to try and create something. There's a bond that gets formed, and I never considered it until these books like that. Yeah, but, like, I'm saying, like, we weren't any kind of, like, fancy musicians. Like, we're literally elementary school students. Yeah, I was, like, the recorder. I mean, there's obvious reasons why nobody shared Well, yeah, I mean, your mouth's on it. But, like, I played... (laughs) Like, (laughs) we could have just swapped around all the time, but it's one of those weird things where it's, like, well, this one's mine. Yeah. And that one's yours. (laughs) And we can't... We can't cross over. That's not how it's done. My chin wrestling. So even at, you know, age 10, when no one told us, and we started playing these instruments. We just kind of intuitively picked up on this thing where you just don't share instruments for whatever yeah. reason. Uh, but Justin gives him the loot, which is pretty shocking. And you can tell he's uncomfortable. Like, first off, record scratch moment to ask. And then to keep it up appearances, he's like, sure. But he's, like, so, like, tense that Kavoth even notices, like, out of the corner of his eye to, like, He's ready to, like, step in at any moment and, like, snatch it from him mm-hmm. if he were to, like, do anything to damage it. I know. I think he thinks Kavot's just kind of, like, a Being child. A He's yeah. like, I guess I'll let you have it because you don't know any better. And and then Kavot ends up playing. Oh, he just, like, the like all of, of his the soul. emotions that he's been hiding for years and the fact that he learned to play the lute and make up these songs that were based on emotions several chapters ago, like... The, what was it, like the wind blowing in the grass or like clouds in the sky all those chapters ago when he was making up these songs that were, you know, just emotion flowing through him all come pouring out. And because it's such an emotional thing for him, the music becomes beautiful and everyone listening is clearly just stunned. Yes. Oh, it's awesome. It's such a beautifully poetic and sad and beautiful moment where really he it was just like the lament of his time in Tarbin and just all that grief and sadness just like into the death of his family just pouring out in this moment mm-hmm. and that's oh I just love the way it's written it's so good and then literally 
I like that he doesn't know how long he plays. And, like, I was talking about the term flow state earlier of, like, when you're so in to the thing you're doing, like, your mind is just flowing on this, like, level that's not really seen with any other activity. And clearly Kavoth is just so into the music he's playing at this moment. He has no concept of the world around him. And it's this pure and, like, raw artistic moment that I think is just absolutely beautiful and clearly everyone else does so um he describes that Rowan shifts in his seat kind of uncomfortably because it's he just played something so beautiful with another man's instrument so he's like not sure what to make of it uh the mercenaries raise their eyebrows at each other like clearly very shocked Derek um who was closest I believe in age to Kvothe and the most friendly to him looks as if Kvothe's a stranger and Denna just sobs Ugh, and it's like to elicit such a reaction, and then literally he just hands the instrument back to Jaws and just like, well, here you go. And he just, the dude just crushed. I know. I think like better than Joseph he'll ever knows play. he'll, yeah, he'll never play that well. And as someone who did not play my instrument particularly well, it was very frustrating to see other people just kill it and then be like, great, your turn, show us what you got. And you were like, man, <laughs> I will never be that good. And though, and I think it's, like, really interesting what happens next. Like, Kavok doesn't have a handle, like, revealing such an intense part of himself. Because that was, like, clearly a very intimate thing to do. And so he, like, excuses himself from the rest of the group. And I... He, like, breaks the third wall. He doesn't even tell you as the reader what happened. He just says, well, you know, let's let's give him a moment and leave Kavok to himself for now. Oh, yeah, no, I I love the way it's written. It's very tender. I'm going to read it. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Look behind him instead. To the circle of light that the fire has made and leave Kavot to himself for now. Everyone deserves a moment or two alone when they desire it. And if by chance there were tears, let us forgive him. He was just a child after all, and yet to learn what sorrow really was. Like, what a... Beautiful and terrible, like, foreshadowing of, like, how hard things are to, like, to be for It him. really is, because up until that last line, you just think, like, this is his final time to mourn all that's happened to him yeah. and reconcile these horrible emotions and have this outpouring of grief, essentially. But to then say he doesn't even know yet what sorrow is when he's lost his family and lost all everything he knows and lived on the streets as a homeless child for three years. And then, like, that's not even what true sadness yeah, is. Yeah, that's not even close. Like, don't worry. He just, he's just being a child with child emotions. So there's so much to come for Kavoth. And I think that's just a fascinating foreshadowing. Yeah. No, it's it's cryptic. It's beautiful. It's intense. And it really just... I think the first time I read it, I never grasped, like, the gravity of the statement. It's pretty heavy, considering everything he's been through is more than most people experience in their lifetimes. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's just good writing. Again, like, always, like, Patrick Rothfuss crushes it with, like, descriptions and just brilliant writing. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Now finish book three. (laughs) (laughs) The only other book that I have ever read that has such visceral feeling writing is The Great Gatsby. Hmm. I've never read The Great Gatsby. Okay, well, that's 
you can't no, really compare I mean, them, but some that's one of the few genre. books that I definitely remember reading and feeling like I was in the room with the characters or like feeling their emotions very specifically. That's cool. That's what put it on the list. It's very short. It's only like 200 pages long. Oh, you can crush that in like a day. I think I did. (laughs) There's a few books. And oh, that's always great. Like those shorter stories accepting people you meet in heaven. Yeah, like little novellas are really great. Yeah, but I do love these books for the length of them because there's so much detail like packed into them. Yeah, no, I do enjoy like a larger fantasy read. I think a good story takes time to build a world around it and events and character growth in order to be like a sufficient story. Yeah, there's lots of ways to tell a story, but I think we've said enough for this chapter. Yeah, no, a lot of be. Chapter 35, A Parting of Ways. We finally reach Imran with the entire caravan crew. Kavoth is still brooding. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm embarrassed. Like, you know, <laughs> he played, like, really intense, deep, beautiful music and then just kind of, like, did his thing, so. And then Dana had spent the last of the time with Josen, so he was very, you know, just kind of. He just bought her. <laughs> yeah, there's you no know, right up to He's all proud. He's pouting. So we roll up to Imran, and everyone's trying to unpack and unload the wagon. Where Retta, Rowan's wife, uh, she uh, pulls pays for the Yeah, no, it's like really nice. She she tells him, you know, you're a great help on the road, and gives him basically like half the money that he paid for the entire trip back to him. It seems like he was probably pretty helpful, though. I, mean, I don't think they were taking child. pity on him. I think they actually like were just paying him back. Yeah. Especially because Kavoth then talks to Derek, who works on the caravan, and, and Derek's like, yeah, you know, that's pretty pretty expected for your behavior. Like, most folks are just kind of useless, but you pitched in. And there's, uh, I think, an interesting cultural moment that happens when Kavoth talks to um, Derek. Well, he doesn't want Rita to get in trouble for giving money back. Yeah. So I think he... And I, I don't, there's clearly not a lot of details about what life in the caravan was like, and it seemed like his mother and father had a fairly egalitarian relationship, but I'm wondering if their culture was more, like, male-dominant, because he's worried about Rita getting in trouble for mismanaging their money. Well, it definitely seems like a patriarchal society, but anyways, um... But this one's different, because it's like, oh, you know, the money man... The the money managed the women. The women, <laughs> the women managed manage the, the money. money. Yeah. No, and that... It was, for him, he considered that an interesting aspect, but it was just... I think also wholesome just for him to be like, hey, like, I don't... You know, I want to do the There's, right thing, even though he struggled and survived and was poor for three years. I think it's cool for him to see that even though he thinks of himself as worldly, he's kind of... I think lately, he, as a character, he's been getting a bit of a kick in the pants of, like, yeah, you've you traveled, you're smart, you're precocious, you're very accomplished. And then, yes, like, bad things clearly did happen to him, but I I think he was expecting to kind of come back into the world and be like, I'm phenomenal and know everything. And this little aside about not understanding this different culture shows that as he goes to the university, he's not nearly as prepared as maybe he thinks he is. Yeah. And then, so, the rest of the chapter is actually kind of sweet. We have, like, this little 
a side moment where after uh, Kavoth and Derek have that exchange, he, he runs into Dena and she's like, so you're going then? And he's like, to the university. And she kind of suggests that, you know, he could go with her. Her. Annalyn. Her and Josen. She says, you could come to Annalyn with us. Oh, uh, yeah. At the moment, it seems as if they're companions in travel. Yeah. From what I can read of Dena's character, I think she's just a girl in a hard place and is always looking out for... She'll just go where the money's at. Yeah, like, not to say it's always her best interest, but I think she's trying to, to follow profitable choices. Yes. And so, yeah, she offers for him to join her, and, you know, part of him wants that desperately, but he knows where he's needed, and so... I'm so glad he doesn't get distracted in uh, this moment. I know. It could have really led to such a different outcome of events. <laughs> I know. Because he's very, very tempted to go with her. And finally, at the last moment, he's like, no. My place is at the university. I have this very important task. I have this very important destiny I've set for myself. I have to go. I've worked hard to get there. Yeah. Like, he's literally pulled himself out of, like, childhood homelessness and poverty at the age of 15. And traveled to where he needs to go. And I think he's feeling like all of his pieces are finally, like, in their place. And he's ready to, like, really start this journey. Yeah. And I do love, like, the last little part that's mentioned is that Kavol says, like, there's, like, a pit in his stomach. Because he knows, like, he's part of the demon route. They traveled everywhere. He's like, the world's a large place and people are constantly shuffling around. Like, I'm never going to see you again. And for, like, a swiftly oh, beautiful Oh, just moment, you wait. Oh, I know. Like, <laughs> in his mind, he's like, that's it. Like, this girl of my dreams, I'm never going to see her again. Like, so I kind of like how accepting he is about it. The world's taught him hard practicality over three years. As much as he wants things yeah. to be different, he understands the way of things. And I think, comparatively, at a young age, he's seen a lot more of the world than other people. And yes. knows that people come and go. Especially influential people in your life, like Ben, um, tend to just pass through. Yeah. And what you remember of their interactions are very important for you. So I think he expects her to be one of these people who's, like, always in his memory. Yeah. Like, oh, and never so reappears. And so whatever happened to her. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, we kind of just leave off with that chapter of, like, Kavot having his conviction to move on towards university. Yeah, and she says, watch for me. He says, I will. But I think it's pretty... On his end, fairly empty. Yeah. But little do they know, they come to meet again. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we told everyone there'd be spoilers. No, I know. But yes, that is the end of the chapter. He ends up in Imre in the early twilight. So this brings us to chapter 36, Less Towns. So Kavol spends the night sleeping outside the city limits of Imre and in the morning makes his way towards university. So Ben had described it for him for a long time when they were traveling together, so he knew what to look for. But on his way there, he realized Imre is really set up differently than other towns that he had encountered. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot more like apothecary shops and book buying stores and shops tailored to the needs of the university Yeah, it's, it's clearly built up as like a, a college town. Yeah. And I don't know. So we live in Rhode Island and there's not really any college towns here. And then Boston has a ton of colleges, but they're all in the city. So the 
the town doesn't really serve the college, but I have visited Yukon, University of Connecticut, and they're fairly isolated. And there is this like bizarre little town that's like built up around them that really caters to college students. There's a bunch of coffee shops and there's like bagel shops and cookie shops. <laughs> and <laughs> Like it's very particular. It does not reflect the needs of a regular town. And that's exactly how Imre is. Oh, yeah, it's, like, really... Honestly, it's Diagon Alley. Oh, it is. <laughs> I've never thought about it like that, but I love it. It is. It's just more complex and... It's more like a real this city. World, Diagon Alley. Yeah, it's... it's. There's still, like, real people living. Diagon Alley is very picturesque and kind yeah. of Disney, Disney-like. Yeah. So, Kovos makes his way to the university at long last, and he actually approaches... Willem at the basically the library, but they actually call oh, it. I never realized that was Willem, yeah, who's introduced later in a couple oh, of the chapters. archives. I'm sorry, not the library, yes. Yeah, so, Kavos' main goal is to go to the archives, and what she says in the first chapter or the first paragraph of this chapter is that he knows what to look for is a featureless gray and square block of a building. Larger than four granaries stacked together, no windows, no decorations, and only one set of great stone doors. Ten times ten thousand books. The archives. So as soon as he gets to the university, that's exactly where he's going. Yeah, he's just on a mission. And Willem basically prevents him from entering just like bureaucratically, you know, you're not a student yet, you can't enter, you're not on the list, yada yada. Which is, I think, how most universities we have work. Like, you can't just be a random person and walk into a university library. Yeah. But good thing he gets caught trying to go in because he's alerted that this is the last day of admissions. Yeah, and he literally only has, like, a few hours to actually go in and present himself in his case. And I'm not sure if he knew this or not, but, yeah, he's he's very, very much on a time crunch and runs to this building, Hollows, for admissions. The admissions are weird. It's like you have to basically stand up in front of all of the headmasters and answer whatever questions they ask you within a limited amount of time. And, and then they decide how much money you owe. Yeah, for tuition. For tuition. I love it, though. There's something weirdly, like, intensely, like, fascinating about that. It's so it's weird. Such a cliche it's not like, of, like anything we would have here. quiz. And it's only like you're being confronted by, like, nine grandmasters or, like, however many there are. I think I would do well in this situation. I think you would, but, like, I think it's a very relatable and intensely stressful moment for all these students because for anyone that's ever, you know, been through high school and college, finals are always such a stressful time, and this is, like, finals on steroids. Like, you basically have to speak to, like, an assembly of all the professors, and then you're getting pop quiz on, like, everything and anything. And then it's not even like a pass-fail, depending on how well you do, is how much money you owe for tuition. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) It's absolutely crazy. Like, people are, like, so just, like, worked up for this. The reason I think I do well is because every time you and I watch Jeopardy, I'm, like, constantly, like, on the answers (laughs) and, like, yelling them out. So I, I think, in theory, I would be happy with this because, personally... I think I would do well and then feel satisfied with having a lower tuition based on, like, merit. But as we see later, there are definitely some characters who have noble 
genealogy who get shafted and have higher uh, tuitions. Oh, yeah. According, I mean, according to them. So. I mean, it's like yeah. an American education. <laughs> Your yeah. parents do well. You're not going to get any financial help. <laughs> it's a mixed bag in America, let's be honest. Fair enough. Anywho. But anyway, yeah. Kvothe is up on the stage. So this is a very nerve-wracking moment for him. And I love this little aside once the questions start coming is the fact that he didn't actually study for these questions. He snuck in and listened to the questions people already got asked earlier in the day. For like an hour. No, which like, is what honestly it's, it's awesome. such a good both moment, like very not how the system works, but also how the system works. Yeah, but also, like, you spent three years in Tarbian, like, learning how to be sneaky and, like, thievy. Might as well apply that skill set. That's what I mean, is, like, the system is about knowing the questions. It's not actually about, like, having any knowledge or any ability to practice the knowledge. It's, like, like just reciting things. Yeah, regurgitation. But also, Kavu does know a high percentage of these questions from his education. Oh, he does, he does. I'm saying it's, like, it's great because he's, like, oh, what you want us to do is study, but really the best way to beat this test is to just listen to the questions you've already asked. Yeah. Why would I waste my time studying? And prepares them for knowing what kind of questions they will ask or repeat questions. Yeah, so he's... So, our he's, boy slays. He absolutely annihilates, like, his questioning. He does, but before even before they ask him his questions, they ask him if he has a sponsor. Yeah, no, there's like a... It's, there's very much a hierarchy and procedure... For how someone's clearly like, admitted to the university for the first time. Mm-hmm. And there's such a prestige about it. It's not just like, you know, you have enough money, we'll let you in. It's only like prove your worth moment. Well, they probably let the richest of kids in. But yes, he is asked if he has a... Uh, Letter of introduction. That's what it is. Yep. He does not. Um, so he really finagles his way through the situation of saying... I was studying under his arcanist, but he left a long time ago. He didn't have time to give me a thing. He did write my name in a book. If you want to go check out the book, it's at this, it's at this store in this town a couple days' journey away. It's very persnickety. Yeah, and so one of the headmasters, him, who's just such a jerk, literally like the snape of this story, <laughs> um... Immediately, it's like he's lying, guys. Like, what a waste of time! Like, you guys, which, so like, to be out. fair, if, if they've listened to hundreds of kids' stories, yeah, and then they get this like malarkey of like, well, you know, I don't really have a sponsor, but if you go to this town, like, you could verify it, but you're not gonna want to go through why that. Why would you bother? Do yeah, yeah. So I see why he's very skeptical, but um, Master Lauren, who we find out is the master of the archives, the library, asks where the book was pawned because he's going to go actually get the book mm. and check on it, which is a pretty a pretty solid move on his part. And I believe, as I've mentioned earlier, there are several characters who are theorized to be members of the Amir who help Kaboth along his way, and Master Lauren is one of those characters who people think belong to the Amir. That's all fan theory, but it is definitely just food for thought. Yeah. They kind of begin the questioning, like, what's your name? How old are you? And so Kavoth immediately 
lets him know that he's only 15. However, in like the short years that he's been alive, he's learned intense set of skills that he knows like 90 sympathetic bindings that he knows a lot that has to do with chemistry and he even catches their trick questions yeah like history grammar so on so forth and when he mentions his age he does say that if ben were around he would urge the headmasters to ignore it that him being so young is not a detriment but something to be praised for having such a expansive knowledge and talent at a young age. Mm-hmm. But also ignore because if he's the same caliber of older students that he should be treated with the same level of expectation. They do tell him that there's like not that many requirements for him to move up as an arcanist. Mm. Um from like introductory student. And he thinks this is because of his merit, but actually a lot of students get told that. Yeah. So I think that he gets knocked down a little bit of pegs because of that. But his his answers to the questions are very quick. They're very crisp. I And I was thinking about this for like a couple of hours the other day. I don't know why. But when they ask him, one of the masters asks him who he thinks the most important person, person yeah. was. And he answers Ilian, who was a trooper and is like seen as... Kind of the origin of all um, Great songs the best and stories. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So I literally the other day was thinking about like who I would answer for that question if I got asked that oh. personally, and I haven't still haven't come up with an answer. It's and a he's, good question. Kavoth is so fast with it. Yeah, and I think it's because Ilian's very important to his culture. Mm. But personally, like I thought about it for hours no, the other day question. when we were bicycling, and because that's I was listening to this on audiobook, and I just like. But just the think way of the an question stated, who's the most important person? Not who's the most important person to you, who's your favorite person, who do you idolize the most? Just Yeah, like, who out of history would you talk to? It's it's almost stated as if there's only one answer. Yes. And Kavil just goes ahead and plows right on through with what he believes. That's an interesting moment during his questioning that I haven't really considered since reading it, and it's... It's, I like that. It's He's cool. a little bit pig-headed, but I think it works out in his favor. Yes. So he ends up, like, crushing, like, the anatomy questions, some of the math conversion questions. He gets asked a question in a different answer, and he responds, or different language, he responds a different language. So he does really, really well. And something that's really fascinating is the master namer, Elodin, asks him a question, and it, from Kavos' experience of watching other people throughout the day, Elodin does not ask everybody a question. He's clearly taken interest in him. Yeah, absolutely. So he comes to the end of his questioning with the final question of, why do you wish to attend the university? And, and he's uh, he has great. so many answers and no answers all at once because he personally has this desire to find out who the Shandrian are and avenge his family and figure out what parts of Scarpy's stories are true or not. And that's a lot of tasks, but those are the kind of tasks that people will laugh at. Yeah, like, it's just way too pragmatic and, like, I'm a child of destiny moment. Yeah, so that'd be like if someone asked me why I went to school and I was like, you know, I really want to find out what kind of shampoo Rapunzel used. Like... Did they get out? It's just such a nonsense question. Yeah. So he does the practical, humble moment of saying, I don't know, but, you know, this is a school... I'm here to learn. I'll learn why I'm here, too. 
I think well, it's into accept that. I don't that. know. That's poetically kind of cool. I I can appreciate that. Response. I think it's a good humble answer considering he was very, like, had a lot of mastery over the other questions I asked him. So to then say I have a lot to learn, I think, really worked out in his favor. It's a hum. It's a humanizing and humble moment. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then they ask if he has any statements. Yes, and like, oh, gambit move. It is just time to like lay out all the cards. I love the fact that he just gets completely real. He's like, I have no money to my name. I literally have like no place to go, no place to stay. But if you allow me to study here and pay me three talents to study here, like I'll study harder and more dedicated than any student you've ever known. Like, I'm not just some liege lord's son that's going to be, like, half-assed my education. Like, please, if you invest in me, like, the return like, on that investment is going to be yes, everything. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and I love that Kilvin, who's the master artificer, who's, like, um, I picture him as just, like, a blacksmith. Like, always making crafting. things and crafting things that very, like... Oh, that's such a good response. Like, Bark's like, wow, like, if half the students had, like, had this kind of fire designer. he has, yeah then, yeah, then I'd take them all on. Yeah, so it was clearly, like, good good move. Kid. I love that he, like, just slaps his hand out on the table, too, like, as if it's final. Yeah. Very cool. Kevin's, like, statement then causes all of the masters to start talking and making decisions. A really interesting moment does happen, though, where they end up all agreeing to admit Kavoth to the university and allow him to study there for less than three talents. And he, he doesn't quite understand what he means by that. But in his mind, he's like, well, that's it. Like there's no way, even with pickpocketing, thieving, selling, acquiring goods, there's no way by when tuition due, he's going to be able to pay that kind of balance. Right. And I know we tried to talk about how much money was worth in a previous episode, but this was basically, think would be like asking him to pay three grand when he has probably three cents. Yeah, just and has astronomical. a day to pay it. So it's just completely out of his realm of reality. I don't think it'd be like three grand. I think it'd be like a hundred dollars. Three talents? Yeah, it's I don't know. Well, we waffled on that so much because the inconsistencies were very confusing. Either way, more money than he could but yeah, ever afford. Let's imagine Kibos has a nickel and one day to come up with a substantial amount of money. Right. And then, so, an interesting dialogue moment takes place where Loren or Lauren, um, the master archivist, at, like recognizes Kibos' father's name. He said, your father's name is Arladen? Arladen the Bard, and obviously, this is like, a cool given the pride and prestigiousness of their troop, Arladen was way more than a bard, you know, he was a trooper, he was... He was a know, songwriter, a player, a, yeah. Know, he was just a so playwright. many wonderful, creative, artistic things, but basically he has a, a reputation, and he's clearly known even here at the university, so one theory behind this is that... The Adimaru's troops' talents are known far and wide throughout the countryside, or theory two, take it away. Theory two is that, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, Lauren is a member of the Emir. The Emir closely connected network of people who are fighting the Shandrian, and if Arladin was killed because of his 
research against the Chandrian and his interconnections with Ben and that guy whose name I can never remember. And eventually Scarpy, who are all supposed to be members of Ymir as well. Then I think Lauren is asking because he knows who Kavoth's family is. And knows Due who to the actions of the Chandrian. Also, you know what I just thought about? If the Ren or Lauren was theoretically a member of the Emir, being in charge of the entire archives and protecting all the tomes and knowledge. That's why Kavok any, can't find any knowledge of the Chandrian the yeah, I was gonna say, archives. Any, any yeah. And, and that's why it, in a couple it, of chapters, Lauren is specifically the person who notices Kavoth is searching searching for the Shandarin as a topic in the archives, pulls him aside and says, I think it's wise if you don't look this up. It would be embarrassing for you if people thought you were researching bedtime fairy stories. tales and bedtime stories versus if Loren is a member of the Emir and said, you shouldn't research these people because... He's protecting the knowledge. He's protecting their knowledge that they have against the Shandarin, which is like their one weapon against them. Which is really interesting, because conversely, the Shandrian want their story to be told, but only in, like, the lightest of aspect of, it's nothing more than a children's rhyme to scare people. I don't think they really want their story to be told any more than that at all. No, they don't. But that's, like, the clever guys behind it. And then it's similar tactics if Loren doesn't want Kavoth digging too deep of, like... Well, especially because anyone like, who digs too deep, the Shandrian attack. So it's a protective measure as well. Yeah, but also like still playing into like the, you don't want to look into that, but if people were to approach someone of like, you don't want to look into this in like a serious like, no, this is bad. You don't want to look into this. You don't want to do it that much more. But when you make light of like, oh, those stories, those are just like fairy tales, nursery rhymes, whatever. And then like conversely, like the other side of the track of like, oh, you don't want... you're going to embarrass someone and be like, oh, you really come to a university looking at bedtime stories? Like, all this downplay because it's so... It's so important. important. Yes, yes, yes. 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 And I want to talk about this once we come across this scene in a little bit. Yes. But, yes, I think there's a lot to be said for Loren and maybe a couple of other characters to be members of the Amir and trying to protect the knowledge that they have about the Shandrian to protect other people from learning too much because the Shandrian target anyone who has too much knowledge. And the only reason he would know Arladin is because Arladin was killed researching the Shandrian. That also makes sense. Unless they'd been to the university when Kvothe was younger, but he doesn't have any recollection of ever being there. No, I don't think it's that he's been there. I think it's just a well-connected group of individuals. And without getting too down the rabbit hole, but it would also make sense why the university doesn't have any records of the Emir or the Shandrian, because if they were to find out and go against the university, all that knowledge would be destroyed. So it's like better to leave out like these pieces of knowledge to protect our hoard of knowledge that we have of everything else. I have so much more to say, but I would like to come across these topics as we learn more in the books. Yeah. So I don't want to give away too many things right now. Yeah. Well, yes, there's a well, lot of fan theories. There's a lot going on. Um, so. But what we come to at the end of the chapter is the fact that Kavoth is admitted for spring term. So we know that it's the start of a new year. 
and he is actually admitted for negative three talents, not less than three. So mm-hmm. that means the bursar has to give him three talents. And when he finally realizes all his walls come down, all his sass just disappears, like, he's so relieved that he he breaks down and cries. Which is, like, a crazier reminder of, like, obviously he's still human, but he's just a 15-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Despite all these really interesting and, like, awesome, like, get-big moments, as I like to call them, where he does something impressive or just turns the tide in his favor and, like, overcomes adversity and really just kind of clinches the victory. He's still just a kid, so it's really awesome to have this character that's full of these ups and downs and relatable moments. And he really did think that all his dreams were being dashed by the fact that they said, you know, less than three. Yeah, oh yeah, because he flips out Loren because Loren actually tries talking to him and he's like, He's like, oh, screw you, you, you think you could come talk to me about my family as if we are friends. Like, you're such a jerk. How dare you? Mm-hmm. But this is actually where we're going to leave off with this episode, ending with chapter 36. Just want to thank everyone for taking the time to continuously listen to this podcast. We're growing and evolving as the story does. We would love any suggestions or feedback that you have for our episodes you can reach us on our podcast uh, website fantasticbookspod.com you can find us on spotify itunes um, podbean you can also find us on instagram so yeah feel free to reach out to us on any one of those platforms we love to hear from you and this episode was brought to you by listener jackie who recommended the book Rich Marie was here. Until then, keep reading, listeners, and we will see you next time for the next installment of The Name of the Wind. And until then, stay happy, stay healthy, and happy reading. This podcast was recorded by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, edited by Anna Opishinsky, produced by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, with webpage and artwork designed by Anna Opishinsky. 